Hi friends, Fred Harrell here. Thanks for tuning in to the weekly City Church Sermon Podcast. Just a note that as we continue to shelter in place here in San Francisco, we will be bringing you our Sunday Sermon audio recording via Skype over a Facebook Live broadcast. So if the audio quality seems like a little lower than normal, then now you know what's happening. We just wanted you to know. You can join us on Facebook Live each Sunday at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening and subscribing to our podcast. The scripture reading today is from the Acts of the Apostles and the Gospel according to John. A reading from Acts, chapter 1. When the apostles had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up towards heaven, Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount they called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When then... When they had entered the city, they went into the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus as well as his brothers. And now, a reading from John, chapter 17. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all people, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you sent me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And they have, kept you, they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them. And they have received them and know in truth that I came from you. And they have not believed that you have sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world. But on behalf of those whom you gave me because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. 
And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. The Word of the Lord. Between the words that are spoken and the words that are heard, may the Spirit of God be present. Amen. This is the first sermon I have given since the pandemic began, and the first actually ever from my study at home, though I've given a lot of online lectures here for Newbigin House, so I have some experience of speaking to people that I cannot see. I find this new pandemic reality changes the way I hear the texts we've just listened to. When I say new reality, here's an analogy uh, that's been in my mind this week. Uh, this past summer, my wife and I visited Africa. And while we were there, we went on safari. The highlight was a bushwalk with a guide to see the big five. Um, and it was winter. And that was great because I had learned that all the deadly snakes I had seen, those poisonous snakes, giant snakes I had seen on Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom as a child, well, they were all asleep. I remember going out on the bushwalk early in the morning and telling the guide how happy I was about this. He laughed. He took out his phone and he showed us a picture of a four foot long snake that had crawled into his bed the night before. He looked at me and he said, mate, they're not asleep. They're just napping. That changed my vacation. I checked the sheets in our hut 20 times a day. We were on vacation. We were still trying to go about having a good time, but I'll tell you, a graze from my wife's foot in the middle of the night nearly gave me a heart attack. That's my analogy for what life with corona is like, for me at least. I'm trying to go about my life, be safe. I'm constantly aware, skittish even, of real danger, flat out scared. Fear, fear is bad, it's hard to live with, but it causes people to turn on each other to take advantage, to scapegoat. When I come to these scriptures, I, I need to hear something. As somebody who's really afraid, I need to hear something I can hold on to. And I do think these stories from the life of Jesus help me get at something central that I need. Just a sense of time. We are, we are in Eastertide. Uh, the seven weeks that begin with Jesus' resurrection at Easter and the appearances to, to, um, to his disciples and other people over a 40-day period. On the 40th day, he ascends into heaven. In the church calendar, that was celebrated this, this past Thursday. And then we look forward 10 days uh, from Ascension Day, a week from today, Sunday, uh, to Pentecost Sunday. 
So that would be 50 days from Easter or Passover at the time of Jesus, Passover, first Easter to Pentecost, literally 50 days um, when the Holy Spirit is then given to the disciples. In the past weeks in this year, we've been uh, at City Church and churches that follow the lectionary, we've been reading the Gospel of John and gathering with Jesus Monday, Thursday evening, where he is teaching the disciples what they most need to know. Uh, last week, he told them, I will not leave you orphaned. And he promised the Holy Spirit to guide them as they negotiate all that the future holds. Uh, he promised them a spirit of knowledge that would enable them to thrive in a world where nothing endures but change. As uh, I think Heraclitus had said just a few centuries before then, but they would not be orphaned. Jesus would not, even though he would depart after his resurrection and, and his ascension, he's promising them, us, that there would be one to turn to when situations demand more than we've ever known or expected, the spirit of Jesus. Which gets us to today's readings. The gospel reading from John is a there's an action shift from the weeks we've been observing of Jesus teaching to uh, Jesus now praying. And we're given the opportunity, uh, the disciples were, as we are, the readers of John's gospel, to eavesdrop on this intimate moment of prayer uh, between Jesus and the one he calls Abba, or Father. There are two things I want you to notice about this. First, in this prayer, I want you to notice what he is celebrating. And then secondly, I want you to see what he's asking for. What is he celebrating? What is he asking for? Well, you see what he's celebrating there in verse 4, where he says, I glorified you by finishing the work that you gave me to do. I glorified you by finishing the work you gave me to do. Um, I love that word glorify, to make worth, beauty, achievement apparent, and to celebrate it. We, we glorify what we love. Uh, movies, books, food, wine, our true love upstairs. Uh, and right now there are coordinated celebrations that are happening around the world for courageous healthcare workers during the pandemic. Singing, banging pots and pans, whatever. What are we doing? We're giving glory. And what is Jesus celebrating? He's celebrating the glory of the love he had known uh, before time with his Father. The eternal love of God. But what he's really celebrating is that he had made it known to this precious group of friends and that it would now be shared by those who would believe, as he says, through their testimony or through their word. I wonder, when it comes to things that get you glorifying, things that you celebrate, 
How vivid and real is your experience of God's love? Is it real enough to be something you go to when things are scary? Is it something that's that real? How real would you want it to be? Jesus in this prayer is overwhelmed with his desire for us to enter into that reality. Then notice what he requests. There's a request for himself, and there's also a request for us. Now, for himself, he prays, glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you. Glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you. Now, we see that being answered in the, in the three days and then the 40th day that follows from the very Maundy Thursday utterance of this prayer. Uh, it's, it's answered in the revelation of the self-giving love of God in Jesus' death on the cross, his crucifixion, but also his resurrection and his triumph over death and ultimately his ascension. Ascension. It's such a. Uh, it's it's not mentioned uh, in a lot of detail in some of the gospels. We get the detail we have in terms of a calendar from the reading we had in Acts. But ascension is a kind of glory that I think a lot of us can relate to. If you're thinking of um, politics, uh, career, when you ascend. That's the big brass ring. means you won. But Jesus' ascension, Jesus' glory, is different. It's not the glory of, you know, the one who triumphed and, and is a winner. It's not the triumph of might. It's the triumph of love. After overcoming death, reconciling with his fragile disciples, Jesus takes his place at the right hand of the Father to reign until he returns at the last day. It's important to see the nature of that reign. It's, it is a crucified Messiah who ascends. Uh, his body, literally a sign of the Creator's intention to transform and heal all suffering, to bring together and heal all of creation. His prayer is then, glorify me that I may glorify you and may be glorified in them. That's his request for himself, to, to be glorified in order to bring this beautiful, wanting love to the creation. And then that gets focused into a prayer very specifically for the disciples and for us, which you read in verse 11, where he says, And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I, I don't know if you've checked. Uh, but Christianity is really falling short of being one, of being united in love. Uh, in fact, 
when I say he's praying for us, you may not identify with us, which would be a very reasonable thing to do because you have seen us. Uh, at best, Jesus' prayer is being answered in a way that is mysterious, uh, not immediately obvious. I can say that despite um, frustration and pain in my experience of Christian community, my experience of love in that community has changed me. And while it's only um, in a sign or foretaste of the reality Jesus is asking for, it has been singularly powerful in my life. That's why I still believe in it, still believe it is a, a mysterious reality that is unlike any other I've ever encountered. It's why I still invite people to consider him and his way and his community. You know, a person who's inspired me um, in this respect is uh, she's an amazing theologian from the 14th century, Julian of Norwich. Uh, Norwich is in the northeast of England. Um, she saw some appalling hypocrisy in the church. Uh, and when I say hypocrisy, I mean, you know, bishops uh, killing bishops, <laughs> that sort of thing. And she survived five cycles of plague, the plague that killed half of Europe in her lifetime. She herself almost died. Um, and when she was really sick, she had a vision. Uh, and in this vision, she had a conversation with Jesus Christ, several conversations that she wrote down. It was called Shoeings. It was Middle English, Shoeings, Showings. Uh, interesting, it was the first book written in English by a woman. Uh, but she says this about this, this glorious love of God. She says, the love of God creates in us such a wanting, wanting, that when it is truly seen, no person can separate themselves from another person. The love of God creates in us such a wanting that when it is truly seen, no person can separate themselves from another person. See, I think she got a real glimpse of what Jesus is praying for. Not just a hidden transcendence that inspires us or a personal experience of being knowing one is beloved and precious is important, as that is, but a real work of God, a wanting, so that even when the person uh, is in front of you, when the person in front of you is being impossible, it's still possible to pursue oneness. That's, that's where the glory is. Love of God is not a luxurious private bath. It's it's more of a public pool. It enables us, yes, to see ourselves with compassion, but never just ourselves. It always leads us toward what theologian Willie Jennings calls a revolutionary intimacy. That's what Jesus is praying for, the glorious oneness of love that comes from, uniquely from God, uh, building up what Dr. King called 
the beloved community. As he said, a community where all are embraced and where hate is always confronted with love. Love that implements the demands of justice and challenges everything that stands against love. What do we do with the Jesus movement in its current state when so many who are espousing hate, exclusion, and division in our society are doing it in the name of Christianity, calling themselves Christians? Well, I'm going to leave you with three words that I've been hanging on to. These come from, uh, I heard these from last year from one of my heroes, Bishop Michael Curry, who's the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church. You may have heard him preach at one of the royal weddings. Uh, he says, he gives us three words for uh, if a commitment to wanting a way of love, and they are lament, repent, repair. Lament, repent, repair, prayer, uh, repair. Think of these as wanting practices. <laughs> um, lament. Before God, we acknowledge our failure to live into love and unity, and we grieve it. And I encourage you this week, make space for lament as you hear the news, as you hear things that sadden you, particularly when the name of Jesus somehow gets attached to, to something horrific. Lament. Just make space to grieve. And secondly, we repent. We commit to going deep and interrogating our hearts and our communities to see where are we out of sync with the demands of love and justice. Make space for that kind of interiority. Maybe there's a conversation you can have with someone this week that is a desire to kind of turn more truly into the way of oneness and love. And then lastly, we repair. We use our place, our gifts, and our power day by day to do the work of love. And as we do this work, I promise you this, because I believe Jesus' prayer is not changed. We will experience deeper oneness, and there will be glory. Amen.